1: investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corian.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. Corian.com.
0: And, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. Then it takes me into the bathroom and says, This is how you brush your teeth brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls, and it was like, He'll have to give us a ride. He can't fill us though. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. The thoughts were all alone in this empty void, you know, the head in the fishbowl. This doesn't look right. Got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. These gremlin type creatures. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers, three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture... pierced in, and
2: then it was eerily quiet. Is this real, Adam? Is this really happening? Are we still here?
3: Is this real life? I don't know, man. I'm not really sure anymore. This is
4: like the fourth apocalypse we've survived, Adam. Yeah.
3: Well, how about that apocalypse? I
2: guys? almost didn't go to work. I didn't mow my lawn because I was like, "What's the point?"
4: <laughs> Damn, I didn't think about that. I did all my chores. <laughs> what's
3: the point of What's the point of doing mowing your lawn when the apocalypse comes? <laughs> I, I do want to say now this show is going to be released like a week after the um, the supposed apocalypse was supposed to hit. So. You never know. By the time this gets released, maybe it was delayed by a few days. But I do want to say that the guy that actually came up with the whole apocalypse thing, the September 23rd date, on... Yeah, yesterday, September 23rd, we're recording this on the 24th, he said that, oh, this is just the beginning of the end times mm. on September 23rd. It's not the actual... End of the world date is just the beginning. So he like revised it as soon as as soon as he possibly could when
2: so when some, nothing happened. Some kind of seed was planted yesterday mm-hmm. that's going to culminate into the end of right, the right right right. Gotcha
3: right. Exactly. That, well
2: that that explains it all.
3: Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what that means. I really don't.
2: Well, obviously the Antichrist was born.
3: That that might be it. On that Saturday. might be it. That might that could be it. Out of all the millions of people born on the in the world, the you know Antichrist anyone that had kids on born. Saturday? No, actually, I don't.
2: Uh, that's too what bad about we yourself? Could, no, because we, we could have kept an eye on them. That'd have been fun.
4: Joe, did you did. Uh, you, you know anybody had kids on Saturday? I'm sure. I'm sure someone did. We need to call our friends.
2: Yeah, we should. Let's let's track this.
4: L- look for like a little six 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 on the back of the head. <laughs>
3: horns something horns yeah but any child that was born with horns we want to know about it on so saturday send, send us an email <laughs>
2: actually any if, if they were born on any day with horns we want to know about it but specifically saturday
3: right yeah a child born with horns and a 666 symbol on the back of their head <laughs> um i mean that could be luke's child he'd think that would be he, he would think that would be pretty cool um, dude is so brutal man yeah you, well, you know what we should just like impersonate luke from now on yeah. just like what do you think luke oh man you know uh what was the guy talking about again i don't even know dude taco bell oh, i gotta go i gotta go get some taco <laughs> bell man. we have a guest in the studio and we do have a guest coming on two guests later
2: on in the studio
3: you two guests in the studio? Oh yes, yes. we do. We, we do have, have two guests in the studio.
2: Not to spoil anything, but we have our very first robot in studio today.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Art- well, Artificially intelligent.
3: The human, if you haven't guessed by now, someone we haven't had on in a while. Is Mr. Joe.
4: Hello Devari. everybody.
3: And he's been working on some stuff lately. We had you on a couple what was it wait a minute, man? It was like a couple of years ago or so you kind of like revised your technology, and we're just kind of like trying out an interesting experiment tonight, thanks to Joe. Uh, Tell everybody what this is that you're doing. How does this work?
4: Okay. Ever since I've known Adam, and I've always been trying to figure out things like artificial intelligence, it all started with um, the Terminator, all right? you got this crazy robot chasing people from Uh-oh. from another time so so i've always been Just inspired by the, yeah I,
2: I love that the terminator is the reason that scares most people away from ai and that's what brought you to it <laughs> <laughs> right
4: yeah, yeah cuz think about it if it's your enemy you got to keep it close so keep your friends close enemies closer right so i always look at it like maybe there maybe if if we figure it out before it happens, we can stop it so sort of weird idea like that and um <clears throat> so I back maybe a few years ago before um Apple had their um, Siri i I made a way for a program to get all questions and answers from the internet. So it was basically artificially intelligent. It would catalog any questions people typed in in their browser, then it would get, um, it would come to us, then we would type in the answers. So eventually it knew, you know, it probably had an average IQ compared to everybody else so so lately we've been working with ghost hunting technology and if you guys ever heard of something called the ovulus um it has a a a language dictionary associated with any kind of electromagnetic changes so if it's sitting in a haunted place and there's a small electromagnetic change it would it would pick a, a word in the dictionary and show it so People think that that is just random. There's something something intelligent happening. We were at a few ghost hunts with um, the ghost asylum guys, um, Tennessee Wraith Chasers. Now, like Haunted Towns is the show that they're doing. Yeah, it's called Haunted Towns. But um, we would just sit in a place and just hear this thing go crazy, the ovulus, with um, words that really associated with the problems of the haunted place. So... It could just be matrixing, we were thinking. So, it needs more testing, of course. So, I <clears throat> I said, why not make my own? But I wanted to use um, light, light changes, the changes in, in shading of light. Not electrical, but light. And I figure ghosts could manipulate light, probably. People always see orbs and things like that. So, why not calculate the light change? So, I basically... I'm turning the camera into a big light meter and it's doing subtraction problems on one frame of video to the next. And so it basically is detecting the light changes. I hooked that up to a full... um, dictionary so it has 65,000 words to choose from. Yeah
3: you literally in, you imported the entire dictionary yeah,
4: so, into this thing. So the robot if if this was a brain of some robot it basically has now a way to talk so we're going to try it um, today with okay. Adam and then hopefully it'll come up with some interesting things.
3: Yeah I want to ask you real quick that why does, does it have to be ghosts? I mean why can it just be the background information that it's, that it's seen? I mean does it
4: well, we're thinking the ghosts are manipulating light, the spirits somehow, but it could just be information that is recorded in light somehow that we're accessing. So we we are not sure, but you've got to experiment with things, you know, or else you'll never know. So that's what we're doing.
3: Okay. So right now you've got it trained on the blackboard that's here on our wall, right?
4: Yeah, You've it's got a little
3: red dot that it's that it's centered on. Yeah, correct. Th-
4: yep. And there's nobody walking around or anything changing the light that we know of, <clears throat> but it'll it'll somehow be very talkative about things. So we're gonna see if it if it makes any kind of sense to us. Okay.
3: Okay. So what do we
4: what do I what do we need to do? Um what, what I, do I need to ask a question? Yeah, just be, like, sincere about your question. But <clears throat> okay. I say make it do something with your who the guest is later. Maybe we can get some...
3: Yeah, we're going to run... While the guest is speaking, we're going to let this run.
4: Yeah, it's like and Joe's in-
3: going to kind of jot down things that... Like, the whatever it says, like, the words.
4: Yeah, it's like an intelligence source, like... Um, the CIA would use. They could point it at a house and probably get information just from the light coming off of it.
3: Okay. All right. So right now it's just spouting out different words. So do I need to ask a question or do I need to, um, do I need to ask
4: a question verbally or in my mind? Um, I say both verbally and in your mind, just so that sure. we can hear you. But All right. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So my question will be, dun, dun, dun.
3: The, what is the future of this podcast? Or is that too vague? Can I ask a question like that? Okay. All right. So we actually have audio on this thing, correct? So, Joe, you got the.
4: Yeah, I'm speeding up the audio right now to get it started. It's calibrating for audio. Hold on. Okay. The robot is. I see the little
3: red dot trained on the chalkboard in the back.
5: Iridescent. Impotence. Poseidon. Poseidon. Independent. Silky. Peaks arcades. Okay, wait,
4: wait, wait till it's audaciously. It's working at light speed right now, so hold on. Crash slow it down.
5: Cinematography. Well, no dynamic, one's seeing what's on the screen. Attackers, civilian.
3: So they can't hear resting,
5: it. Seismologists. Hailstone. Alright. Limerick. Hammock. Larissa. Sightings. Heel. Asps. Academics. Osler. Misnomer. Bagels, bagels. Horser. Carbonate. Adage. Decreasingly. Okay, it should be teleology. Synchronizing about stooped, now. Disruption. Fellows. Insulated. Hitandrin. Fives. Sidereal. Turnabout. Intensify. Shines. Tile. Peps, abdomens, diaphragm, miniature, binocular, medications, pleasurably.
4: Hey, hey. Okay, it should be ready.
3: Okay, so what we just heard, that's not my answers? Beta.
4: It could have been, man, Caldance. but it was all in that. It collected data from all that. It was going through all the data from the calibration. So Okay.
3: So basically this thing is looking at the light in the room, the ambient light, and basically using an algorithm to turn it into words, right. correct?
5: Gorilla. Wagered. All right. So, oh. so
4: Adam wants to know how the show's gonna go in the future. Is that positive or negative?
5: Lear. Henceforward. Sulfides. We're gonna get more science-y,
3: I guess. That could yeah. be
4: the end of the world. Sulfur.
3: Disillusion. Fifteenth. <laughs> uh, disillusion's not good.
4: I did say end of the world, and it said disillusion, so it could just be corrections.
5: Chuck, Uh-oh. Dinky, Dinky,
3: some guy named Chuck is Dinky, I guess, addressing,
5: um. recirculate,
4: it could be a future guest named Chuck, mm-hmm. It's possibly,
5: grantee, phosphates, These guys
4: are smoking in here, so I'm thinking the computer notices that. Rosina. It's coming up with some
5: Gun strange drop. words.
3: <laughs> okay.
2: It did Zero call six. me debonair before the show, though, so.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: That gave me faith in it right off the bat.
3: That's true. Made sure that you were debonair. <laughs> Strengthened. So. Complied. Is there anything that you get out of that, Rob, what it was just saying?
5: Extirpation. Um,
2: initially, when it, was, when it started, started, it's like a calibration rant. I think that was more interesting. Other than the, yeah. the, the leer henceforth Ecstatic. when you asked about the future. Warps. That was his first reply. That was kind of cool. That's but, true. But the, uh, the calibration rant, it, it said uh, like independent sightings, cinematography, as far as future of the show i think we're gonna be on tv oh but we're gonna have see, to do I'm, it ourselves but... i
4: totally missed some of that i'm glad you heard it Rod. i was okay. trying to figure out why it's so quick today
3: <laughs> see I'm, I'm just i'm like uh i guess for me i have kind of a like a problem with like coming up with something right away i guess like the random words like bagels kind of throw me off <laughs>
4: a little bit because you're hungry maybe
3: <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Joe, because you've had some experiences with this. You've actually been um, using this to make a little money.
4: Yeah. Um, don't recommend it for anybody, though. I, It said wagering when, just earlier, too, and that's what I've been kind of trying to do is, like, if you're an intelligent source, go into the future and tell me if the Cubs are going to win. You know, so... So I've been getting some really correct answers and I have been making a little bit of money, but I don't recommend people doing this until they actually test it like a thousand times uh-huh. before they put money down on it because it could it could in a sense be random, but I don't I don't think it is random, but and I am the programmer. I didn't program a single bit of random code in this. It's all just subtracting light data from itself. Sure. So so yeah I have one money though so which is cool i've had I've asked for lottery numbers, but it won't give me any. I did program numbers in there, but i I- rarely see numbers come yeah, up. I
3: didn't see any numbers come up either.
4: We just saw the number fifteen come up on here while we were talking. I don't know what that deals with, but the could be the fifteenth time we've survived the apocalypse, maybe, but oh is that little number thing off to the right is that <clears throat> that that is, that is the, the random number thing. That's a memory segment. What oh, okay. it's on, but yeah, the word you may have missed it, but the word fifteen showed up. Oh, the was word just, fifteen. Yeah, I was wondering okay. why that showed up.
2: So to summarize, you're using your tessellations robot ghost communicator to gamble <laughs> <laughs> I'm gambling. i love that so much I...
4: only online where there are no laws against it here in tennessee so i'm trying to be all legal with it so it's just an online kind of casino thing but um yeah i don't recommend it unless you guys really have a system and you can test a lot um, I'm wondering why no one's really brought out the obvious and tried gambling with that thing because that thing's pretty smart too. But um, I think our the system I'm working with maybe a a little different. It's working with light, so it gets so much data at one time, so we maybe, have to throw data yeah, away.
2: Maybe limit its vocabulary just to lottery numbers and see what happens. Yeah, I'll I'll throw down some money. <laughs> <laughs> they just said misinterpreted. Ooh.
4: Yeah, so I'm thinking too. Uh, is I'll I'll say, are the Cubs going to win? Then I'll give me some weird thing. It said um, it said grizzliest. Then it says shotgun. So I have to sort of decipher what the heck that means. And that's probably why the word misinterpreted comes up. Is it to me? It's it's how we interpret the data we're getting, and so There's so, definitely
3: some interesting words that it's yeah magi and reliquaries. That's <laughs> yeah. There's hydration so. dispute.
2: I should use this to write a song. Yeah, just
4: yeah. Oh yeah, this yeah definitely, Rob. This is a good thing for people with writer's block because you just say something and yeah, you'll get song lyrics. And I told it to try to send me poem like rhymes. Like if you're smart, can you please rhyme words? And I never really got anything that I noticed, but to the spirit maybe or who's ever answering this maybe it rhymes to them i don't know but it w- definitely would would be good for making songs
3: <laughs> yeah for sure uh what do you well first of all before i get to that we you actually did take this to a convention in knoxville correct
4: yes we had, um,
3: and you're actually are you work you're actually working with a ghost hunting team yeah using this right i'm
4: working with a new team um called the haunted travelers and this is just a name for the pilot of the team it may change but right now they're called haunted travelers they're trying to get a pilot um into a studio or into um like a television it's like a television channel yeah like a a television channel channel, they have to test it and see if the testing group likes it then they'll Uh go with it but this technology is is for main in, in the forefront of the ghost hunt so uh, anything we're getting with this new stuff, people will be freaked out. And it's not fake. So if you ever see Haunted Travelers, it's completely real stuff. Same with Ghost Asylum. I was there. It, we try to make everything as real as possible. So it's just the Dope. technology we're using. Now, we can't say it's scientifically 100% correct, but we have to start somewhere. And I think we got a, something good going here. So
3: Baboons, extinguishers. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I guess that brings me to the next question. I mean, what do you hope you're going to accomplish with this? Like, what do you? What's the next? What's the next step?
4: I think I think I started it. I just want anybody who listens to use the technology and make it better, make your own robots um, sentient with it, or however you want to do. But uh, that we're actually hoping um, to. We we do have a patent pending on our technology, and if a big company like Apple or Samsung or Google want it for the phones to be incorporated with Siri, um, you could your phone could be semi-intelligent. It could actually be psychic, kind of, and tell you these kind of words. People think it's random, but it's actually using the light to make the the words. So, um, for example, the the Convention I just went to, I had two cars to choose from. I had my wife's car and my son's car. And my wife's car, the the engine light went on that day. And I was going to take it, but I, I decided to ask the spirits with this technology. I said, should I take um my wife's car then the word flypaper came up right away so i was like uh, no because flypaper means stuck get stuck i think so th- then the word dodge came up and my son's car is a dodge um truck so i definitely took the dodge and and i the trip went fine i didn't have any problems so so i kind of just used it as like a Magic 8-Ball, but a smart one. You know, it it actually (laughs) gave me a word that said, you might not want to take that car, so. (laughs) It's interesting.
3: Uh, Joe, where can people find you, and where can they, uh, like, get more information about this technology and how to use it?
4: It's called ghostpro.us. If you type um, it all together, ghost, G-H-O-S-T-P-R-O, dot us not not dot com but dot us and you'll be able to read about it excellent
3: excellent and now it's saying cephalopods Ooh, that's an interesting one okay well thank you joe so much and you're going to stick around with us when we talk to ren collier
4: yeah i'm going to be monitoring the robot yeah. and if uh, it says something interesting i'll let adam know okay
3: yeah well with the, the uh in the uh, outro we'll kind of maybe go over a little bit of what uh, what it says. So Joe will be sticking with us, and we're going to talk to Ren Collier about some of his paranormal experiences, Men in Black, Albert Bender, and some other weird stuff, as we usually do on Conspiranormal. And it just said garbed trolls. That's yeah. interesting, right when I said that. <laughs> a lot of people
4: think the Men in Black are just trolling half of them.
3: Well, all right. Well, we'll be right back on Conspiranormal, guys, with Ren Collier. <laughs> we Back on conspiracy normal guys, we've got the Joe's technology monitoring, of course, as I said before. And uh, I guess no Luke tonight. Oh well, miss going to miss going to miss another hell of a guest. But uh he always gets on to me when I have a guest on that like he really likes, like I think that he would really like. And like, well, why would it talk to that guy? Well, because you didn't show up. <laughs> But the guest we have on is uh Ren Collier. And uh Ren and I have been a part of a few uh round tables um on where did the road go. So I finally was able to get him away from Soraya just long enough to have him <laughs> on Conspiranormal. Normal. S- Soraya can't have can't can't have you all the time, Ren. <laughs> well wow. so, um But I wanted to just kind of bring you in and introduce yourself and – because you've had some really like interesting experiences in your life. And and how would you describe yourself? Would you describe yourself now as kind of like an occultist?
6: I would think so. I mean I was kind of an armchair occultist for a long time. I've sort of in the last maybe six months sort of tried to shift from just reading books and reading about this stuff to actually participating Mm -hmm. because – from listening to, to various podcasts and stuff, I keep hearing people say things like, "We we need people trying to contact entities. We need people to participate in this." And it's like like Jacques Valet said. And so finally, I was like, "You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to participate and, and try to explore and figure out for myself what's going on, rather than just reading about it."
3: Right. What kind of got your your interest in it? How did you, How did that come about? This interest in in occultism.
6: Well, I do always have been interested in kind of, you know, cryptids and UFOs and stuff since I was a kid, but uh, the occult stuff, I was originally introduced to in high school through books like the uh the Simon Necronomicon, um, you know, Wicca stuff, uh various things. It was, you know, as a kind of nerdy on the uh margins of like culture kind of kid, I was drawn to things like magic in the occult because it you know it kind of gives you a sense of power a sense of you know things that other people don't but i never really did a whole lot with it um one of the first kind of magic books i owned was uh modern magic by i think it's like uh david michael craig i think that's his name it's been a while since i had it but it was a sort of a kabbalah golden dawn kind of primer and I was interested in it, but I never really went too far with it beyond just like doing things like the lesser banishing ritual, the pentagrams and different things like that. Um, Years later, I kind of got back into it through um, Peter Carroll's work. I read Lieber, Nolan, Psychonaut. I got really into like the idea of chaos magic. And, and I guess in the past couple of years, I've sort of synthesized some of the ideas of chaos magic with, more traditional grimoire magic and systems because in a lot of ways, those old systems, I don't think things like chaos magic completely eliminate them or make them invalid or anything. Um, Sure.
3: Chaos magic be kind of a more modern form. Yeah. Yeah.
6: A lot of people I think misunderstand what Carol and other people were doing chaos magic. It was the idea that, that you could take the scientific method and apply it, to magic in that you could actually do magic for results and and write down your results and figure out what worked and what didn't work find out what was extraneous basically like an idea that you could trim the fat off of old magical systems and have something that was practical uh, which i totally respect and i think that's that's a worthy endeavor i think where people started to go maybe a little off the rails was the idea that you, it was all just theater. It's all just in your head that you can just make up your own gods and summon your own gods and that kind of thing. I don't think that's entirely true. Um, If you look at the grimoires, it's sort of like phone books for spirits. You know, it tells you the spirit's name, it's address, it's phone number, what it's good at, you know, what its personality is like and then how to call them up the way the whole chaos magic idea that some people have that, you know, you can just create your own spirits and they're just as valid. Well, you know, if you dial a number in the phone book, you just dial a random number, you're going to get somebody probably, it's just not going to be the person you're trying to reach, you know, and maybe it's a person that can help you out, but you know, i sort of went back to being like, maybe I should start with the old grimoires and, and try to, because people spent their whole lives working on those books. You know, people put a lot of energy and, and, and mental, uh, exertion into writing those books and doing experiments. So why just throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, like let's work off of them. Let's stand on the shoulders of giants and then blaze a new path forward.
3: Well, let me ask you this about doing these kind of like the conjurations and these, I guess these exercises, um, Mm -hmm. these rituals. Um, I've heard you before talking on other podcasts about mostly, you know, where did the road go Mm -hmm. uh, about conjuring spirits or conjuring Mm -hmm. um entities now when you do this are you do you feel like you're actually conjuring a tangible intelligence or is it more of a symbolic uh type of event so
6: i've had one kind of like major successful conjuring and it was by accident but it did feel like there was a presence in the room with me like something that was not me it wasn't just all in my head like i could it was a tangible presence that i could feel and i could feel it like moving through me and moving around the room mm-hmm. so it, i could see it but it's sort of like one of those things where when when magicians talk about like conjuring something to physical manifestation they don't necessarily mean like that you see you know, a demon. Um, I've heard Grant Morrison talk about how you can see like a shimmering in the air where it's supposed to be. I haven't seen that yet, so I'm not going to say that. that's what happens. Maybe I'll get there one day, but I can say that it, you know, you can feel if it's like somebody's standing behind you, like you just kind of know that there's somebody behind you.
3: Yeah, like that feeling of being watched, basically. Yeah,
6: it's a lot like that. Like you can feel that something's there and something's watching you. I imagine it's, I've never been ghost hunting, but I've heard that there's like kind of a similar Experience when people, you know, you kind of like feel a presence in the room with you.
3: Uh huh. So that's that's more of it than just like Satan, you know, appears with the, <laughs> with his horns. He looks yeah. like Tim Curry from the movie Legend and <laughs> standing over you with his hooves and mm-hmm. yeah. But, but I think that's what most people think of though. Yeah, whenever yeah. they they visualize this. Mm-hmm what you're well, doing they, they, they it's almost like one of that memes of like you know what people think i do and you know what i actually do kind of thing if you've seen those
6: yeah yeah well some people say that they do actually have seen that's very rare but on occasion people have said that they see a physical manifestation appear yeah like they actually see it uh whether or not they see it uh in a In a mirror, like if they're using a scrying mirror or a crystal ball or something, they see it within there like an image Mm -hmm. or they'll see it appear in sort of the smoke from the incense or something. That's something that people do say happen. I I can't personally vouch for that because I've never had that happen. Um, I've just finished building my own kind of like table of practice, though, that that includes an obsidian mirror, like an obsidian crystal ball. So we'll see what happens when I start doing stuff with that now that I've got the tools. But, you know, I'll I'll keep you posted.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So you've never seen anything like that in like the scrying mirror?
6: No, no, I haven't. Okay. Yeah.
3: Now are there levels in this thing? You know, I know Aaron from charm, the water, you know, he talks a lot about the, uh, the spheres and -hmm. all that. Now, now, are you doing that kind of, that kind of magical Uh practice or is what you're doing a little bit different than, than his?
6: I am. uh, well, this thing I'm doing tomorrow is actually, um, we'll say tomorrow as in Monday on the 25th. Um, It is something that's taken from uh, the practice that Aaron does, the Rufus Opus Seven Seer stuff. Okay. Um, And it's initiation to the sphere of the moon. Uh, I'm doing it with him and a couple other people. And it's a little adapted from Rufus Opus's uh, method. Um, I'm not necessarily going to be calling on an archangel because I'm just like, I don't really like the idea of angels that much. So. I'm gonna contact mm-hmm. what I want to contact, and we'll see if it, it appears and see what happens. Uh, maybe nothing will happen. Maybe something will happen. I mean, I, I like to mention like the Grant Morrison disinfo Confe- conference uh, talk that he gave, where he said that, you know, when he was a teenager, he thought that the occult was all garbage, that, you know, Aleister Crowley and other people said that if you draw a magic circle and say these words and do these things, then a demon will appear, and he thought they were full of crap. So he decided to do it just so he could prove to everyone that it's full of crap. And then he did it and then a demon appeared and then he had to rethink his entire worldview. Hmm. So, I mean, I I do want to say that when you do these things and you do them right, sometimes stuff does show up and you know, how it shows up may be different. I know a lot of people talk about like the temperature in the room will drop or the light will change. Uh, Again, there's all these parallels to sort of like what people experience during ghost, ghost hunting. Right. So, um, I mean, I I do think it's something external. A lot of people tend to think of these entities as sort of being aspects of your consciousness or, you know, it all being in your head and it just sort of the ritual being theater. I don't necessarily think that's true. I mean, it doesn't fit with my experience. It doesn't fit with experiences I've researched. I I do think there's an external reality to these things that uh, you can experience through these methods. And, you know, I've got my own ideas about how it turns or ties into the whole ufo phenomena how it ties into cryptids and and that's kind of why i'm pursuing it as as a method of research into that material
3: yeah that was gonna be my next question because not Mm -hmm. only are you into the occult but you're also really into uh the fortiana aspect Mm -hmm. of these these things and these ideas Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about that what what uh What's the link there, you think, between these 14 things that happen and uh, the, the occult practices that you're doing? So,
6: you know, I have a basic feeling that there is sort of, for lack of a better term, a spirit world, right? Like there is something that overlays or maybe coexists with our reality that occasionally leaks over and... That is sort of the source of, you know, things like ghosts, maybe some cryptids, uh, different experiences, and I think that occultists have always known that you can contact these beings and you can speak to them um, through different methods, you know, like conjurations, scrying, different things. And I feel like when when people who study UFOs look at it as a extraterrestrial phenomena they're right in a certain way, not that they're from other planets, but that they're from basically another world or another reality that exists parallel to ours. And that wall between this world and that world isn't as thick as people I think would like to imagine. And the things over there for whatever reason are listening and waiting for us to say hi. And sometimes they say hi without us initiating it, which, you know, people who, have had abduction experiences and seen UFOs would attest to. But so many times throughout history, you see stories of occultists doing practices, conjuring spirits, and the spirits that they conjure oftentimes have reflections of experiences people who've seen UFOs or encountered UFO occupants talk about. Um, There's a wonderful example in Passport to Magonia where um, this guy, does this conjuration to summon the sylphs and our spirits of the air and these four guys show up and um they're very much like sort of the space brothers that people like people like george and Damsky would talk to they're sort of like blonde haired tall well-built guys
3: yeah the venusians they, or the nordics yeah, yeah
6: yeah exactly and they start talking about all this stuff about science and and they, they say some things to him that are very sort of quantum mechanically. Like they talk about how the universe is constantly created and destroyed every moment, and that like people's consciousness basically constructs the universe and, and keeps it together. And, you know, and then there's the Albert Bender thing that I've written on my blog about, about how, uh, you know, Bender sort of kicked off the whole like men in black phenomena in a way that not a lot of people realize the, the real story about, and not a lot of people realize how like into the occult Bender was and how right. he, he essentially called these things into being, he, he like beckoned them.
3: Yeah. Let's go into detail on that because, you know, we talked about this a long time ago with Nick Redfern, but we didn't really go into a lot of detail. This was, I think his book about uh, close encounters of the fatal kind Mm-hmm. And one of the things he talked about was Albert Bender. But I also wanted to add too. You know, Crowley's lamb is exactly. generally cited as being almost like a proto-gray. If you mm-hmm. look at it, or you know, it, it has small eyes. But if you mm-hmm. look at some of like the the shading in the in the drawing mm-hmm. that he did, it's got really the big gray eyes. If you look at it, um, I think there's definitely like a a progression mm-hmm. of. Uh, you know that's what like you could essentially say that Betty and Barney Hill saw in mm-hmm. the '60s, right? These like kind of smaller-eyed aliens, and then you know eventually we get to the Greys later on in the '80s. Um, mm-hmm. But
6: yeah, I mean the the beings that Betty and Barney Hill saw were much more close to Lamb. Right. Than they were Whitley Strieber's entities? You know the the big black eyes thing kind of came about during the same time that, that Strieber's communion came mm-hmm. out. And mm-hmm. I think it's largely because of the book cover.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like all of a sudden this book comes out, that in intruders, right? And mm-hmm. everybody starts seeing these uh these aliens with uh big eyes and mm-hmm. really round heads, you know. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. interesting how that happens. But <laughs> I think it's just the it's the phenomenon manifesting itself. Um we've talked a lot about the black-eyed kids and Slender yep. Man as well, but let's talk about let's talk about uh Albert Bender, because this is, I think, really fascinating stuff. So one of the cool things about
6: Bender that not a lot of people realize is that he was most certainly an occultist. Um, I don't know how much practice he did or how serious he was about it, but he was a dabbler for sure. Um, He sort of was kind of a weird guy. He was very sort of macabre. He liked to tell, you know, macabre jokes. He lived in his parents' attic, and he had a room full of, like, skeletons and, you know, rubber bats. And (laughs) he sort of – he really liked Halloween. He was very – he was, like, that kind of – we've all known that kind of guy. (laughs) And he would have been, like, a huge fan of, like, Hot Topic. So Bender was also sort of the founder of one of the very first, like, UFO kind of groups or newsletters. Now, he – was in that group along with people like Gray Barker and some others, and you know they would send out newsletters and and he had this idea at one point that they should try to telepathically contact the space people and ask them you know to to land on the White House lawn as it were, and he wrote out this whole script and kind of like gave it to his newsletter people and a lot of them I think thought he was probably crazy like. I don't know if anybody actually participated in it except for Bender. But Bender did. Uh, he definitely participated in it. Um, he kind of like meditated at night and then he read this script. And if you read over the script, it's very, very similar to like a Goetic summoning ritual. The wording is very similar. And it makes me think that maybe he, I don't know if he consciously, got the wording from another ritual or if it was just maybe, you know, he was just so familiar with the material and so into it that he sort of accidentally wrote it to be similar. Mm -hmm. But I'm the kind of person who believes that, that language matters, you know, like the way you phrase things matters. And especially in the occult, like the, uh, you know, the medium through which a lot of these things work is language and how language can affect your consciousness. So he does this essentially ritual where he, you know, says all these things like you know to, to appear before us and you know kind of usher in mankind into a new reality and that kind of thing. And then he goes. When to is bed. this
3: happening, by the way, Ren? What what year is this? Uh, let me get the year.
6: I think it's this is like in the fifties, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Okay. Okay. Let me check my blog real quick, and I can tell you.
3: Yeah, I think I've got it pulled up actually. Uh, fifty three.
6: Yeah, nineteen fifty three. Yep. So he. So, you know, this is, this is deep into sort of flying saucer pop culture. You know, this is 10 years after Kenneth Arnold. So he does this telepathic ritual, right? He goes to bed, and then he has, like, sleep paralysis and ends up having this out-of-body experience mm-hmm. where he is presented with these three men, these three dark figures, and they basically tell him, like, you know we're from another world and that you know you have to stop doing this stuff and that you know they, they scare the crap out of them so he um he gets terrified he goes back into his body he doesn't know what to think um he tries to tell other people about this experience and kind of no one believes him um and then a year later he kind of comes back to his room and he ends up like smelling sulfur in the room and he sees Mm -hmm. the same entities again. Right. And these entities like are very similar to what people talk about when they talk about like shadow people or the hat man. And they again, kind of tell him that they're from another place that they would reveal hidden knowledge to him, but that no one would believe him. Um, They actually gave him like a little metal coin, And a word of power that he could use to call them.
3: Interesting. It's
6: it's very similar to sort of like fairy lord. They'll give it like a talisman or something. (laughs) And he, you know, they said that he could use a radio to like contact them. Um. So he does this contact again. Like he he goes to a radio. He uses the word of power and and like speaks to these entities. And he ends up having an out of body experience where he's drawn into like a spaceship, and. Like, he has all of these adventures where, you know, he kind of, like, has these out-of-body experiences where he ends up in a spaceship and he talks to these entities. He ends up, like, being set before sort of their king. And they tell him all kinds of weird stuff. It's it's very...
3: This part I have not heard.
6: <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of these sort of jaunts out into outer space as it were uh-huh. uh, it's very very much more similar to stories of people going to like the land of the fairies you know it's like it's it, this stuff follows like i know this is like a josh Cutchin thing it follows the fairy lore much more closely than it follows ufological lore um it right. presents himself and he assumes that he's going on a spaceship but you know we we kind of can look at this from 30,000 feet and see this is a lot more similar to to fairy lore than it is to anything else Um, Some of the interesting things that – and I mentioned this in my blog that he was told – was that one of the beings told him that at the center of the galaxy, uh, this is where they were from, and it was called the Great Central Stillness. And that it it was like so powerful there that if you approached it even by light years, you'd be immediately destroyed. Um, And one reason this is really – surprising is that he was given this information in 1953 okay so this predates the actual location of the galactic center by over a year uh, joseph posse didn't discover the true galactic center until 1954 when they were able to see that there was a strong sort of radio emissions coming from sagittarius um, it was actually a little bit off from where scientists had thought the galactic center was in the, you know, to begin with so again this is a year before the actual detection of the galactic center Um, And their description of the galactic center as a great central stillness. So powerful that even getting within light years would destroy you. Right. That sounds like a black hole. Right. So it, the fact we know now that the center of the Milky Way galaxy is a supermassive black hole. Okay. But that wasn't even hypothesized until 1971. Right. So his book where he wrote this down was called flying saucers and the three men. It was published in 1963. This predates, the even the hypothesis that the center of the galaxy was a supermassive black hole by 11 years okay wow so it just it just seems like he was told that the center of the the galaxy was a black hole you know years and years decades before it was even hypothesized by scientists
3: it's like a download of information
6: yeah and it's, it's very similar to sort of like channeled information. It, it plays into my idea that some of these entities, uh, I was talking to my, my, my brother about this last night, that things like time, time is like something that we experience because we live in a three-dimensional world. But if there was something that lived in a four-dimensional world or higher, time would just look like a flat plane to them. And things like, future and past wouldn't necessarily make any sense it, it wouldn't make sense as a concept because they see it all as one thing and so they could tell you something about the future that they think you already know if that makes sense like right like um like to give you an example my little brother has been having some experiences where he's been encountering this entity in, in out of body states for years and she's always told him that, you know, he knows who she is. And only recently have we sort of maybe figured out who she is based on some kind of mythological symbolism that's been in some of them. And what I was trying to tell him was maybe she told you, you know, who she is because she knew that you would figure it out in the future. And to her, the future and the past are the same thing. So she was kind of like, you know, you, you already know who I am. Why are you asking this? Even though he wouldn't find it out until years later. Hmm. It's kind of mind bending, but it's it like It is. It is. <laughs> you got to think about like if 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 time is another sort of physical plane that we can measure, something that exists on a higher plane than us would look at time as a, again sort of a flat circle. We wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily have a concept of past and future. And that's why, you know, people can channel these entities and have precognitive sort of experiences going back to the bender stuff, all this happened to him in 53. He finally, I think was losing, felt like he was losing his mind. No one believed him about any of the stuff. He was kind of going crazy. So he just cut ties with all of it. Um, he like got married, moved off and didn't have anything to do with ufology for, I mean, he published the book in, I think like 63. But other than that, had nothing to do with ufology for the rest of his life. Um, but the, the idea of the Men in Black was sort of started because of that, because of his his experiences, because he told his experiences to Gray Barker. And then Gray Barker wrote a book called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. And that included the Bender stuff, but it was changed to make it, I guess, more normal. Like the way Barker wrote it, it made it sound like Bender was visited by actual like government agents, you know, guys in cars and that he – Barker actually sort of created the the current mythology of the Men in Black, but if you go back to the original experiences that Bender had, they were much more akin to occult experiences. They were much closer to encounters with with fairies and that sort of thing. Um, It's also really similar to, you know, a lot of the early contactee experiences um, would generally happen in an out-of-body state, you know?
0: Like yes. people, would,
6: people would telepathically travel to the spaceship and then they would be flown around Venus or whatever. Uh, even I mentioned on uh, Banal of America recently that uh, a lot of people don't know that Sun Ra, the musician, was one of the first contactee experiences in ufology. He predates uh, George Adamsey's experiences by like almost 11 years, I believe. And he was you know, taken to Saturn and he met these, you know, entities, these aliens from Saturn was told all these sort of like channeled knowledge and then sent back.
3: Um, he was literally on the mothership way before yeah. parliament funkadelic.
6: Exactly. And even, I mean, even Parliament so George Clinton and Bootsy mm-hmm. Collins had a traditional UFO experience. You know, they, they saw a UFO on the road. It stopped and like shot a beam of light at their car. And then after that, that's sort of when they came up with their mythology of the, you know, the mothership and all that.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, w- one thing that I would ask is, well, the hat man thing has become a motif now. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been – people see these shadow people that have the hat. Um, mm-hmm. They have sleep paralysis experiences where the, where the guy with the hat shows up. And before this, do you know of any record of the, whether people were seeing the guys with the hats – Or is it all come after, after the, it's kind of publicized and put into the popular culture?
6: Now, that's something I haven't done a lot of research on. Um, What's interesting about the Bender's hat man was that the hat wasn't necessarily like a fedora like people see now. Right. It was actually closer to like a Holmberg hat. Interesting. They looked more like clergymen than they Hmm. did government agents. But the, the meme is there, right? Like the meme of these entities wearing a hat. Right. Um, I don't know how far back that's going to go, but I, was, I would suspect that he wasn't the first necessarily. But the mythology of the encounters definitely entered the popular culture after Grey Barker wrote his book about Bender.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And then you start seeing the Men in Black popping up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it in the Mothman prophecies mm-hmm. and all these uh, the the different television shows. And then it becomes, it's like for me the way I look at it is like it's a circle. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like it, it it someone writes about it, it goes into the popular culture, and then mm-hmm. people start to see it and they start seeing it over and over because this phenomenon, whatever it is, manifests itself as. What's in the, as an archetype, what's in the collective unconscious?
6: Well, yeah, it's a mimetic experience. I mean, these ideas kind of enter what uh, you'd kind of call the meme sphere, and they get, they mutate. I mean, that's, this is a good example of what we talked about with the small-eyed grays and then the big-eyed grays. Mm -hmm. That's an example of mimetic mutation, right? So the meme is there of these sort of childlike entities with big heads and sort of, Big eyes—I mean, bigger than a normal person's eyes—but then Whitley Strieber has his encounter, and then he has the—he publishes *Communion*, which is, you know, a bestseller. It has the image on the cover, and that creates a mimetic mutation in the popular culture's sort of uh, zeitgeist that then manifests itself in the experiences that people have. Because more than anything, what I—I I, I sort of think about these experiences now and these entities is that. Ultimately, they're they're not human, right? They don't have, they're, they're alien in the truest sense of the word, right? So, in order to communicate with them, they have to construct a context so that they make sense to us, right? Um, just like how you can't like really talk to your dog, you know, you have to wave your hands and you have to like use metaphors to communicate with this thing that that doesn't share a language with you, and you know, this is not sharing a language to the nth degree. So it's sort of a, a Greg Bishop co-creation idea, but what I think happens is that these entities need to sort of build something that you can communicate with. And that what it builds is based on your own sort of mimetic overlay, like what you think it should look like, what your experience is what your experience is, what your culture is, things you've seen before. I mean, sometimes I wonder if that's not why these things appear to certain people as recently deceased uh, family members. Sure. It's because like, they're just pulling that information from your mind. Just like how in a, you know, in, in contact, the movie contact. And I think it's in the book as well. Like when Jodie Foster goes to the alien world, the, the uh, alien appears to her in the form of her dead father.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Right. Because it needs, it, it's too out there. It's too alien to really talk to you in any meaningful way. It has to, look through you and look through your mind and find images and things that you can relate to or that you would understand.
3: Right, exactly. I mean like we've talked about the Slender Man phenomenon Mm -hmm. which which absolutely fascinates me because I mean this is something that we know is a that we know is a made up meme in two thousand nine. But yeah People are seeing there. it now.
6: Yeah, I mean, I was there for the creation of Slenderman. I remember mm-hmm. I used to be on 4chan in 2009. I remember when the first images started popping up. I remember people talking about it, and no one discussed it like it was a real thing. Everyone knew it was just like a thing people were making because it was like right. part of a contest. You know, it was part of the whole creepy pasta thing. You know, everyone knew it wasn't real. But then it's like these these things leave the lab in which they're created, and then people don't know better. People don't know if it's real or not. Um, that it's sort of similar to what happened with the whole Pizzagate thing. Is that you know that sort of started as a joke. It started as an inside joke on places like 4chan where people knew that it was fake. People knew that they were just making stuff up. But once those ideas start leaving, and you know what "quote unquote" the normies get a hold of it, they don't know any better. They think it's real because they mm-hmm. don't have any. You know they're not in on the joke. You know, and then they start repeating it. And it's, it's like the old game of telephone, you know, it just keeps going. It keeps getting wilder and wilder. And the original sort of people that created it lose, lose memetic control of it. Once it's in the sort of memetic ecosphere, it starts to mutate and it starts to get roots in people. And, you know, eventually you just completely lose control.
3: Have you kept up with any of the, uh, the Slender Man case, the, uh, the two girls that stabbed their friend? Yeah. Back in like Um, 2013. I believe that they just, not too long ago, I think that they declared her innocent because of insanity. Yeah. Because she is schizophrenic.
6: Yeah. I mean, I don't doubt that she might actually be mentally ill, so. Mm -hmm.
3: Which was an element of the case that I didn't know about until I watched the documentary that HBO put out about that case, which the Mm -hmm. most about that Slenderman documentary was about that case, but there's something else there, I think, uh, because she was seeing all kinds of yeah. figures. She was seeing Snape from Harry Potter and mm-hmm. all kinds of things, but there's, there's something else to it. There may be more to it than just that because in an ancient culture, mm-hmm. someone that is schizophrenic would have been considered touched by God or touched by the gods, And you could almost make a well, I think you can really. You could almost say that like a schizophrenic is almost like would be a shaman in a blessed or you know quote unquote advanced culture.
6: Yeah, I mean, part of me I have mixed feelings about about that topic because I don't want to be insensitive to people who who do suffer from mental illness. But on the other hand, exactly, yeah, I, I do sort of wonder if people who have who see sort of things that aren't there aren't maybe necessarily, uh, ill, maybe Mm -hmm. the things that they're seeing are actually there. Um, I I don't know. And I I hesitate to say things like that because it's a, it's a tough topic. You don't want to like feed into people's delusions. You don't want to convince them that the things they're seeing are necessarily real. So it's, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I, I can't necessarily make a diagnosis there. Right. There's there are a couple possibilities. I mean, as someone who has had encounters with this sort of thing, I I can say that there there are things sometimes that other people can't see. So who knows? And, you know, in some aspect there's a couple possibilities there. I mean, maybe she was maybe she was being manipulated or talked to by some sort of entity that was using the sort of image of the slender man to manipulate her. Or maybe she was just mentally ill and she was deluding herself and convincing her friend of their delu of her delusion. <coughs> right. You know?
3: Yeah. That's, so, that's for sure. I mean, definitely mm-hmm. the other girl was just kind of following mm-hmm. this girl's lead. The the girl mm-hmm. that was, that is considered schizophrenic was the one that actually did the stabbing. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, one thing that I do want to say about that is, is that there was actually, I don't, I'd have to look this up, but I remember reading an article about a, about a doctor that was taking his schizophrenic patients, taking them to, um, like he was taking them to Africa and more sh- in societies that were much more, uh, had a much more shamanic belief system. Mm-hmm. And they would go into these cultures and these people would actually thrive because yeah. all of a sudden they weren't seen as being a part are being mentally ill, they were being seen as they were being included into the society as being like uh, communicating with an, another realm. So I thought that was really interesting.
6: Yeah. I mean, it definitely calls into question the way we think about mental illness and the way we, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I know uh, on other shows, people have brought up the idea that things like multiple personality disorder or it's like a completely created condition. Um, right. that, you know, it doesn't exist until it's suggested by a psychiatrist. So it definitely, yeah, it calls into question the way we think about mental illness and the way we, we engage with people who are mentally ill. Uh, and it also, I don't know, it, 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 I think those cultures are maybe more sensitive to the needs of people who are like that. Um, you know, our society, the way like kind of Western society structured, like we don't have a space for those people, you know, those people are excluded, um, because their experiences don't necessarily let them fit in with modern life
3: there's well, I was just trying to think of where I was going to go with this so yeah the the idea though too that you know schizophrenia could be you could almost make a case that it's another altered form of consciousness, yeah, so in you know. The, the communications with these entities seem to take place in an altered form of consciousness, whether that be sleep paralysis, which is our dreams, which are probably the more, more common ones,
0: mm-hmm.
3: psychedelics, meditation, mm-hmm. these type of um, means that people yeah. have used in the past to communicate with these with mm-hmm. these beings. Yeah, I mean,
6: even the, uh, the conjuration thing I was talking about earlier in the occult space, I mean, you get yourself into a trance state to communicate. Right. So yeah, I mean, and the altered state that you put yourself in. I mean, maybe these people who are schizophrenic and seeing entities and stuff. Maybe they're just permanently in an altered state of consciousness. Yep. You know, and it's something that they can't control, which is not necessarily a good thing because you know no. you want to be able to come down. You don't want to be always in that space. You know, it's not where I don't think it's like a space that we're always meant to be in.
3: Yeah, they're they're almost in a permanent state, mm-hmm. um, which they can use. You know. Medication or stuff to get them out of that state, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, for example, the girl's father in that documentary is schizophrenic Mm -hmm. and, you know, but he knows that what he's seeing he is an hallucination, Mm -hmm. you know, so that I don't know. It's interesting to think about, um, again, not denigrating someone that is that has these problems, because I do believe that there is an actual physical physically something wrong with their brain. Mm -hmm. But does that necessarily mean that what they're seeing isn't real?
6: Yeah, exactly. Which there's
3: a there's a fine line. I think that you have to, um, you know, uh, drive to or like you know get through in that well, respect.
6: You know, maybe that's why those people are better integrated into those cultures. Is mm-hmm. those cultures believe in spirits? They believe in things that aren't there that that are there that we can't see. So perhaps it's easier for those people to be there because they're told you're not crazy. Those things are there. You're just, you know, like you're supposed to see them, you know, maybe the, maybe the idea that they're kind of being told that, no, you're, you're not ill. This is just, you know, you're just, you have a gift or whatever. Maybe that changes the way people experience their own mental illness. Mm
0: -hmm.
6: Um, But again, you run the danger there of, feeding into people's delusions uh, if they are just mentally ill and the right. stuff really isn't there i mean then you're just reinforcing that illness on them you know so it's, right. it's i don't know it's very touchy it's like how, how do you handle that you know
3: yeah so definitely I mean, a doctor would not accept <laughs> that i mean for no sure. no yeah um, for sure
6: and and i mean maybe they're right for not accepting it too you know maybe maybe mm-hmm. it's more dangerous to i guess feed into someone's illness than it is to uh try to have them accept it
3: Exactly let's talk about some of your personal experiences because you have had experiences with these entities and i'm and I'm not really talking about your occult practices mm-hmm. and bringing things forth, but you've i mean since it seems like since childhood you've had some experiences uh yourself with these things
6: well yeah so um I've always had sleep paralysis since i was a kid Uh, i think it's something that runs in my family from my dad's side uh he when i was young would make cryptic remarks about uh, the first time i ever had a sleep paralysis i I went to him and asked told him about it i was pretty young and he'd said that yeah when he was a kid sometimes he would you know wake up and he couldn't breathe and it felt like something was sitting on his chest or but he, he wouldn't really talk much about it so i didn't have much to go on and Of course, when I was a kid, I was watching things like the X Files and sightings and unsolved mysteries. So, you know, I was convinced for a while that I was being abducted by aliens. And, you know, I I know now that that's probably not what was going on, but, you know, I had a couple of occasions where I would wake up and I would be paralyzed and I would see the door to my room open and sort of a little shadowy thing walk up and stand next to my bed. And it would, you know, scare me really badly. I would, come out of the experience. Like I remember that, that particular experience. I looked at the clock, uh, when it started happening and saw it was one time. And when I snapped out of the experience, it was like an hour later. So sure. there was a like missing time involved. Um, but I, again, like now that I've explored that state more, I don't think it was an abduction experience. I, I think it was more just encountering things in that liminal space between here and there. Like what I i have sort of termed the in-betweens mm-hmm. that, are I don't know it's it's like something that that feeds on fear and anxiety that exist in that space uh sort of like little sort of animals or like flies that just kind of hang around and wait for someone to enter one of those states so they can feed on it um I know when I've had other out-of-body experiences since then um I've encountered similar things and I just kind of shoo them away because like I know what they are and they don't scare me anymore and so I always had these experiences when I was a kid. It wasn't until I was a teenager that I started actually trying to – I started reading about about experiences and astral travel and that sort of thing. And I started to actually try to manipulate the sleep paralysis state into an out-of-body experience and it became fairly successful at it. I'm still not great at it. It's not reliable. Sometimes I just fall asleep when I try to do it. But, you know, I've managed to do it a couple times and my little brother does it a lot. And we've both kind of compared notes. And in those out-of-body states, you'll come across entities. Sometimes you'll come across those, you know, shadowy sort of leeches. And then sometimes you'll come across, I, I don't know how to explain it, like either other people or other entities. Um, like one particular experience, I um, was in the out-of-body state and I was floating along the path of some kind of small park. And it was nighttime. And I saw someone sitting on a bench and, you know, I thought, cause I've seen people who are, um, how do I put this? Like sort of in the waking world while I'm in an out of body state and they can't see you. You're like a ghost to them. Like, sure. you know, they, they can't see you. They can't hear you. They might be able to feel you if you make enough racket, sort of like make a ruckus, but generally you're like invisible to them. But, so I thought this guy was going to be visible. And, you know, just when you're in an out of body state, you sometimes don't necessarily think the same way you are when you're in your body. You're like more controlled by your sort of your emotions. You're more childlike. And I, you know, sometimes I just get a kick out of just, you know, yelling at someone or just being a, you know, like a huge jerk and seeing if they can hear me. Um, (laughs) So I thought I was just going to like mess with this guy, you know? Uh, So I, I floated up to him and it's my surprise. He like looked right at me and his eyes just got wide. Like he was like, like he was really scared. Oh, man. And I was like, Oh no, can he see me? Like, and I don't know what he saw, but it apparently scared him. So he, and then it surprised me because he didn't run away. He took off into the air. He flew away. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) I wanted to talk to this. I was like, is he out of body too? Like I wanted to talk to him and be like, Hey, what's going on? Like, Hey, you know, we're both here. This is wild. So I start chasing him and he, he ends up about running me. Like I try to grab his leg and I get a hold at one point, but he slips out of my grip and, you know, I lose him after a minute. And, huh. you know, so there there are other, there are other people who are dreaming. Um, I mean, Robert Monroe talked a lot about how he would encounter people who had he thought had recently died. Like, they were sort of confused. They didn't know what was going on. And they would sort of try to, like, pick up the telephone. And, you know, their hand would go through it, and they wouldn't know what was going on. Or they would try to talk to people on the street who would walk right past them. Um,
3: Let me bring Joe in here. Joe, you get your... To your mic, because he's he's had a lot of these same experiences. Okay, and, and Joe, like we think that Rin has said, has it been kind of similar to what you've experienced?
4: Yeah, you're on the right track. Just keep messing around and experimenting. Um, a few outer bodies I've done, I've gotten to the point of testing things. So I wanted to see if it was just my mind, or or if something was there that. That was beyond me. So I would t- I would say, how do you spell duck? You know, d I know how to spell it, d u c k. If it was my mind, everybody would always give me the same answer. All right, but some of these spirits didn't know how how to spell a simple word. So I'm like, well, that's impossible because if it's my mind, I would know how to do that. Oh. You know, so so I would do these kind of experiments, and then then I found out that um, I would listen to other people's experiences and get ideas. So one of them was to to say when your outer body say show me the truth. How do you really look? And then your mind's going to blow if you haven't tried that yet, but that's mm. I just give you that idea as something else to try, but the there's some some beyond. I think this is where we all are before we get born, you know, into these bodies, but I I definitely think you're on the right track. Just keep keep doing what you're doing.
6: Yeah, it's tough because it's tough to get the. I've never been that good at getting the technique down to actually do the exit. I'm. Um, I've tried experimenting in different methods and uh, even using certain like uh, nootropics, like I was experimenting with uh, galantamine, which is a uh, Alzheimer's drug. Uh-huh. Um, and it works. It puts you in a sleep paralysis state, but it also Ooh. is so mentally disorienting that. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to hard to transition. Like the last time I, I, I tried a dose of galantamine and then had an out of body experience, it worked, but it was, I guess, a trippier experience than I've ever had before. Like I, I felt myself fall backwards and it was falling through sort of a, a tunnel of multicolored lights and uh-huh. it looked like it looked like pipes all around me. Okay. Like steam pipes or something. And that's all I remember. Like I did, it didn't really transition any sort of exploratory thing. Like I just woke up the next morning after I sort of fell through this tunnel. So, you know, it's, it always seems like the real significant out of body experiences I have always happen when I uh, just sort of spontaneously, you know, I'll, I'll go to sleep or I'll have sleep paralysis and I'll be like, okay, well time to go okay. and I'll turn it into an out of body experience. Like the most recent, I guess, lengthy when i had um i immediately wanted to travel to my uh, childhood home so i sort of uh like does this make sense to you like when you want to travel from one place to another in that out body state i feel like i twist and then i'm there like
4: yeah some- yeah the um how my whole body twists 90 degrees uh, yeah. on a lot of them then then i feel like i'm i'm lined up right Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's a gravitational thing. Like we, we don't have mass anymore, so mm-hmm. we're not affected by gravity as much. So, mm-hmm. so we're sort of trying to figure out that stuff, I guess. And then the first timers are scared, I think. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it just takes you to not be scared and stay focused. And it's kind of hard. Oh, yeah. I got a question for you though. Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to get my wife to do it. And she she always couldn't get there because when she goes to sleep, she just totally passes out and never remembers anything. But my question for you is just right now, like if you close your eyes and I say, imagine a duck in a pond, do you actually see the duck in the pond like visually, graphically?
6: Um, I mean, I think I would see it in my mind's eye.
4: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, So, here's my thing is I just a suggestion is maybe you don't need to do outer body, but just a guided meditation, because I think it's the same thing. People with outer bodies are, are, are doing good, but um, you sort of are in rim sleep and you, you don't always connect, but I, I was able to actually help my wife just, Um, do guided meditation. So I would sit down with her and we did, we've done a lot of things that way. Like I would just get her going. Then she would come back five minutes later and tell me, um, you know, what we, what she did and everything. And it's, it's as similar as a outer body experience. She was totally, you know, Mm -hmm. ready to go, had the same kind of experience as people would. So we would do some experiments and, uh, we actually tried placing an order like with an alien culture. We said, send us a free gift, you know? So something's supposed to come like a stuffed animal, I think, or something, but we've never seen it. But it was just part of our my way of just getting past not being able to help her do outer body, but just to... Um, you know, just to get her a different way that she could do it. So just, just maybe if you're really good at visualizing, maybe that's your talent and you just need to close your eyes and meditate, you know, I, I'm sure you're doing that, but just a, just a question. Yeah.
6: One of the things that, I mean, honestly, that sounds a lot like what, you know, someone like Joe McMonagle would call remote viewing. Right. Um, and for years, I was—I didn't really realize that there was a difference between remote viewing and an out-of-body experience until I started reading more of McMonigal's books and learned that <laughs> there, there is a difference in in terms of like what you can do. Um, like both of them have the ability to see a place that is remote from you or see something that that's you know remote from you physically, mm. but the out-of-body experience is more—I don't, don't want to say vivid, but it's like you're there physically rather than seeing something in your mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say, something she might want to try, I found that almost all of my sort of sleep paralysis events that then transfer into out-of-body experiences almost always happen under a specific kind of physical state I'm in. Mm. Um, Like generally, it always happens if I am going on very, very little sleep. Like if I'm going on 24 hours without sleeping and I'm just completely, completely wasted. I'm just exhausted. And I think what happens is that, that I'll lay down and my physical body falls asleep before my mind can catch up.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Ooh.
6: And, or on the other hand, really physically exhausted. Like I've just really killed it at the gym. You know, I'm just physically just getting completely tired. All my muscles are sore. And as soon as my head hits the pillow, like my body starts to fall asleep and my mind kind of stays active longer. And mm-hmm. so I feel the paralysis come on. And that's sort of where my events first started really occurring was because I remember one, I'd been at school all day. I was exhausted think I hadn't slept much the night before. And as soon as I got home, I, I like lie down on the couch um, and immediately just felt like sort of the waves of vibrations hit me. Yeah. And, I got really scared because a lot of times, you know, when you haven't had these before, you feel like something's coming for you or like something's coming up the stairs to get you Mm -hmm. or something's right outside the door. And I was like trying to get up off the couch and I rolled and I felt myself like slowly fall to the ground and like bounce, like in slow motion. Mm -hmm. And then I woke up back on the couch. And that was the first hint that to me, that was like, this is the way out. Like this is your gateway. Like you have to have the sleep paralysis experience and then you transition that into the out-of-body state.
4: Yep. Yep. You're on the right track for sure. Yep. What's the
3: weirdest thing that has ever happened to you in one of these experiences as far as like seeing some entity, like what's the weirdest thing you've experienced? I think the
6: Honestly the probably the most weird surprising thing was seeing that other guy and seeing him run away hmm. just because it was like I'd never encountered before anything other than me. Um, I've had some other encounters where <laughs> I remember one of the first ones I ever did I uh, was so happy that I was out of body I, I went to my parents room and, and went on their bed and started like jumping around and mean like you know like trying to wake them up <laughs> and then my mom actually woke up and it's interesting it scared me so- It scared me so bad I snapped back to my body. And then, um, you know, recently, I guess my most recent lengthy one, I I sort of, like I mentioned before, I twisted to my parents' house. Um, I saw, like, my cat walking around. It was, like, nighttime, sort of windy, just like it should have been. Um, I saw my cat walking around, and I sort of went down to it because I wanted to see if it could see me. Uh, It didn't notice me, but then I noticed all around me there were these large sort of shadowy dogs or like dog shaped things sort of stalking around me. Like they were like a pack of them was surrounding me. And, you know, I I knew that they were trying to scare me and I was sort of like, ah, whatever, you know, I'm not scared of you things. And I just kind of waved at one and it just dispersed just like in the dust. And, you know, I was like, you guys are just nothing, you know, this stuff doesn't scare me anymore. And I don't remember a lot of, a lot of times I'll go into the state and I've explained this to other people too. It's almost like the area around you and like immediately around you stays sort of as it should be. But the further you move away from it, the more you start to transition to what people would probably think of as like a lucid dream, you know, like you sort of like some of the wildest stuff I've seen. Like I remember I was out of body. I was kind of floating around the city that I live in. And as I started to sort of leave I have thought about this and I thought it may have something to do with memory. Like people can only remember a certain amount of like what the area around them looks like and can reconstruct that in their head. So after you sort of leave that initial area that you're familiar with, things start to shift and change. And maybe you're going to another place. Maybe you're going into the dream or something. But I remember coming across like a coastline and I was like flying through this, Weird, large, futuristic city that was right on the coast. I didn't look like anything on Earth. And there were like these large birds like flying around me. It was just very, it was very beautiful. It was like sunset. And that's, I just, I love having those kind of experiences in that a body state because it's like, it's better than any kind of video game or movie. You
3: know? Have <laughs> you like, seen the movie Midnight Special?
6: No, I haven't.
3: It reminds me of something from that movie. I, I won't give it away, but that's that's interesting the futuristic city type thing. Uh, you you did mention on another podcast, you mentioned one that you had, you saw something that had like a really weird shape coming towards you. Now, this wasn't in an out-of-body experience, I don't think.
6: Oh, oh, you mean the, the thing in the woods?
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
6: <laughs> so this is the weirdest experience I've ever had. Um, to this day, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know how to explain it in any sort of way. Um, it's almost so crazy that I I doubt my own memory about it, but I was pretty young. I I think I was maybe 11 or 12. I was out in the woods, um, hiking with my little brother and my dad. Uh, we were hiking on the Penhody trail, which is in North Alabama. And I like to sort of like scout ahead of them, um, you know, I don't necessarily I didn't want like want to walk with them for whatever reason. You know, maybe I was just trying to be brave or whatever. So I scouted ahead of them for a while. It was maybe like five, ten minutes ahead of them on the trail. And I turn a corner that's sort of like uh, like the trail kind of hugs the side of a hill or a mountain. It's, in, it's sort of it's in the Chihaw sort of state park, so it's very mountainous. It's right in Appalachia. And like down in down in the bend of this trail was a hollow. And when I turned the bend in the trail, uh, these huge birds were on the trail. I think they were probably like turkey vultures or something. They, I spooked them. They flew really close over my head, startled. I, you know, I think I startled them as much as they startled me. They flew off. Um, and then I heard something metallic, like clanking. I was like, what is that noise? And I looked down in the hollow and the only way I can explain what I saw down there was like, like polygons from a old computer game or something like from a playstation one game just like triangles and it was kind of shaped like a four-legged animal and for some reason in my head i thought it was like a tiger like it was shaped like a big cat or something and it was just made of triangles and like polygons it was completely black and white and it was just running around down in the hollow making this weird metallic noise and you know i I looked at it for maybe two seconds and I just got out of there. Like I wasn't going to stick around to see what it was. Uh, you know, I watched a lot of horror movies and I wasn't about to just disappear in the woods. So I took off running as fast as I could back to my, my dad and my little brother. Um, you know, when we got back to the same area, you know, I told them what I saw, they thought I was crazy. They were laughing at me, making fun of me. We got around to the same area. And by the time we got back there, it was, there was nothing there. So I, I don't know what I saw. It doesn't fit anything that, that I know of. Um, after I did the show with Soraya and and talked a little bit about this, there were a couple people who came forward with sort of, you know, similar, not quite the same, but similar people who had seen sort of geometric figures Mm -hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, no idea what that was. Um,
3: it reminds me of two things. Well, first of all, the fact that you kind of like walked away from your dad and your brother, uh, that almost reminds me of some of the stuff that's in David Pilates, you know, the mm-hmm. missing uh, 411 stuff. Joe's <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. nodding his head. He's been, gotten yeah. into this lately. And also Steve Stockton, uh, shout out to Steve. He has a story that's kind of similar where he talks about I think this happened in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where he saw these like really weird machines running around like on this in this area, and they were mm-hmm. making some like I think the metallic kind of noises as well, mm-hmm. and like so that's like two like that's this you have a similar story to his story,
6: yeah. You I know? mean maybe what I saw was you know like I said I looked at it for like two seconds I wasn't about to like see what it was or stick around for it to see me I I felt like it didn't see me you know like it it didn't know I was there right so I I got out of there but yeah I mean later on. Just a couple of years ago, I, I started learning about the David Pilate stuff and was listening to shows that he was uh-huh. on. And every then, I was like, "Did I dodge a
3: bullet there?" <laughs> yeah, you like, might have. You <laughs> might have got sucked into another dimension or something. Yeah, it's almost like something is trying to manifest itself into this reality, but it's well, manifesting itself imperfectly.
6: What's interesting about it, there, there is a little bit of similar thing in the literature. Um, I don't know if you've read Ingo Swan's Penetration or not. No. Okay, so in in penetration, uh, Ingoswan talks about you know remote viewing the moon at the behest of this shadowy government agency and seeing like you know robots in the moon or whatever. Uh huh. Um, there's a part in it where these same people come back years later in his life. This mysterious Mr. Axelrod, and they take him like somewhere. He doesn't know where they take him because I like, blindfold him and everything. But they, he feels like they're going north. Like they end up somewhere like in Canada, like in British Columbia. And Axelrod tells him that that one of them is going to manifest there like and one of them i guess he means like a ufo or whatever so they're they're like waiting on this little ridge like all night and then finally like sometime early in the morning they see this light appear like over this little body of water and basically a ufo appears but it first appears as like polygons like it appears it starts as like a tiny triangle and then it starts expanding almost like a like uh, like it's being built you know weird and then like this you know large kind of triangular craft appears and then it starts like scanning the area around them and and axle rods like be quiet like don't say a word and it ends up like shooting a laser or something that like blows up an animal. Like it's like the predator or something. <laughs> it's a really wild story. It's a great book, but it, it sort of reminds me of that. Like, it's something that's like, uh, it reminds me of like a, uh, you know how in movies, like a little laser beam will like scan something and then like rebuild it or something.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Like it reminds me of that so much. I, I don't know why, but it's, yeah, it's like something was trying to manifest or something was like trying to appear, but wasn't quite, Appearing correctly, I,
3: it's that, like a 3D that, printer or something.
6: Yeah, and it's like, what <laughs> if it's a four? What if it, what if it's a 4D printer printing something in 3D? Like, because uh-huh. you know the whole idea. Like, okay, if you were if you had access to a two dimensional world and you stuck your finger through it. Uh, the, the people in the 2D world wouldn't see your finger. They would see a huge cross section of your finger. They would see this giant blob of flesh just like appearing and like changing shape. And then it would just disappear. It would come from nowhere and then disappear back into nowhere. And I, I've always thought, what if some of the things we're seeing is, are something from a, a higher dimension passing through our world. And we're only seeing like a cross section of it for a yeah. brief second, you know? Yeah. Because to us, like, okay, so if uh, if something four-dimensional cross-sectioned through our world, what we would see would be like spheres. We would see circles, like spheres that would grow and, and shrink and move around in weird ways. And that instantly makes me think of UFOs.
3: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. It's almost like UFOs are just something coming into this reality mm-hmm. and how we're perceiving it or it's coming in, uh, imperfect. Now you do have an idea about like the, the UFOs are almost in a way like a portal themselves.
6: Yeah. It's something I've been thinking about lately because I've been, you know, I've been working on this, this table of practice, uh, that's like a magic circle. It's got a triangle in it. I've been looking at a lot of books, a lot of drawings of like magic circles and stuff. And like triangles of practice, like from the Goetia. And when I look at that kind of thing, I think, I look at a picture of a triangle UFO and how it has those three lights and then the light in the center. And then you compare that to the way a goetic triangle of art looks. It's like literally the same thing. It's a triangle with a circle inside and then three little dots at the the, uh, edges of the triangle that have like, you know, the magic symbols or whatever. And I have thought, what if, what if people originally got the ideas for these magic circles by looking at UFOs or on the other hand, what if the UFOs themselves are literally magic circles? What if a UFO, a triangular a triangular UFO, is literally a triangle of art as described in the Goetia? What if it's a uh, artificially intelligent, living, moving portal to the spirit world? You know, because so many times people see the people see the UFO first, and then the entities appear. People rarely see the entities that then then they see the UFO.
3: I just want to say when you said when you were saying that our little experiment here, a mm-hmm. word generator said demonology.
6: <laughs> yeah, I now mean, it says
3: cryptography. So yeah. okay, well, I mean that's
6: that's what that's things what are getting
3: wrong. interesting in here in the studio right now.
6: <laughs> I mean, speaking of cryptography, a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, I'm someone who works in information security, so I deal with crypto. Cryptic- cryptography all the time. I deal with uh, encryption, that sort of thing. A lot of people don't realize about magic. Magic is encryption. It's language encryption. You're you're taking, especially like sigil magic, you take a statement, and then you remove all the vowels. You remove all the repeating letters, and then you turn that into a sigil. That's an encryption. That's a cipher that you're building, and then you take that encryption, and then you move that into your subconscious. Hmm. So in a lot of ways, like the occult and all these things are built on, like the encryption. And subconscious manipulation of language. Wow,
3: <laughs> this stuff goes really deep. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, that's you the thing. It's like think about I it. The, I think really outside the box on a lot of these things.
6: I, well, I see these parallels. You know, I can't help it. I, it's right. like I, I look at I look at books. Like there's like a huge. I've been trying to get every UFO person I know to read The Changing Light at Sandover, which I talked about in the the show with jeff Rensman on where did the road go it's like a book of poetry in which the uh, poet james merrill apparently channeled all the information in the book uh via ouija board with his partner and uh you know there's there's all kinds of stuff in there about ufos about soul eating machines and all kinds of stuff and it's 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 fascinating. You know, there's all these people from all different walks of life and different interests, people who are interested in the occult, people who are interested in UFOs, and they all end up kind of saying the same thing in different dressing, but they're still talking about the same meta-narrative, you know? It always reminds right. me of that scene from the movie version of uh, Communion where the the great alien starts to take off its mask, you know, and it tells him, like, you know, you're just seeing what we want you to see. Mm-hmm and that there's something else behind it. You know, there's something behind the mask.
3: Hmm. Let's talk about this concept of these beings that prey on fear. I know this is something that you've been getting into lately. And, you know, have you seen the latest version of It? Have you watched it? I
6: haven't seen it yet. Um, I might see it, but it's just really hard to me. To yeah. imagine Pennywise that's not Tim Curry.
3: So. <laughs> well, I'm going to say the new guy does a pretty good job. Um, okay. I, I've actually seen it twice now. And wow. I'm actually glad that I went to see it again because I got so much out of it. Because, I mean, it's a very well put together film. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I like in that, in the movie, and I said this kind of like we did a little review of it a couple shows ago. Mm-hmm. And... This is after. This is before I saw it the second time. Mm-hmm. Was I really liked how in this version? And I think some of this was just you know the restrictions of the time that they made the original, and that it was kind of a cheaply done TV movie. This is mm-hmm. much more of a big budget kind of film. Um, and plus, you know CGI and all that has kind of has really advanced in the last thirty years, almost thirty mm-hmm. years since that film was was first film was put out, but. I like how that Pennywise in this, the monster is just kind of right underneath the surface. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: So it's very compatible with some of the the, uh, subjects that we've been talking about tonight of this being that feeds on fear, but also manifests itself as whatever these children are, in this case, scared of.
2: Some of the co-creation stuff yes yes yeah
3: yeah yes i also pointed out the uh the Modigliani painting and some of the links to that that we talked about with Steph Young about how uh there's this idea, there's this some people have talked about Modigliani mm-hmm. almost having this connection to what lack of a better term to black eyed children and to actual mm-hmm. beings and I found it interesting that this director puts a Modigliani painting in this um, movie, hmm. which as far as I know has nothing to do. I, I don't think is in the book. I'm i am mm-hmm. fairly certain. I don't remember that being in there, but it's interesting that uh, he puts that in this film. And so you definitely have this aspect of this being that feeds on fear. Now, I don't, think that anything that we're going to talk about is quite as violent as it, as if it like Mm -hmm. kills people or whatever Mm -hmm. they might, but you know, there definitely are these beings and you've, you've looked at, uh, I know one of my, my favorite books, uh, Nick Mm -hmm. Redfern's final events Mm -hmm. as well. Um, what are some of your ideas about that? So,
6: yeah, like you said, I've been pulling together a lot of different sources about this topic, uh, I think it's something that is a meta narrative that underlies the paranormal experience. Um, you see it as far back as the idea of like incubi and succubi, or the idea of sort of spirits coming in the night and feeding on people's fear. Right. Um, but the interesting thing is that so many different artists, so many different creators, and writers, and researchers come up with similar ideas. That aren't necessarily, who don't have anything to do with each other. Like I mentioned in, in uh, the Changing Light at Sandover by James Merrill, uh, the spirits that he's talking through to the Ouija board tell him that, you know, they they use human souls for energy, and that they need, you know, they need it to to function, and that that's the reason they don't want nuclear wars to happen because nukes apparently destroy the soul. And that every time it happens, or when it happened in in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, they noticed that the souls didn't get recycled. And like, so that scares them. And like, they talk about how not enough people are dying. (laughs) Like, there's not enough people dying in the world, and there's too many people being born. So it's like the balance is getting all out of whack. And they have had to start relying on using slaughterhouses and eating animal souls instead. And then you have works by like Robert Monroe. And in, in *Far Journeys*, Robert Monroe is kind of guided by his sort of spirit companion that he has during his out-of-body experiences to these, what he describes as like giant machines sort of in the other world that literally take the energy from human souls and use it for whatever purposes. Well, they don't, they don't, they don't use human souls. There's a distinction here. So in Merrill's work, they, they say souls in Robert Monroe's work, they refer to it as louche. It's not necessarily human soul, but rather the energy that is produced by fear and suffering. Okay. So it's like they refer that they, they, they say that they created the earth as a greenhouse. It's like literally an engine of this energy. Right. And that's why they seeded life. It's very sort of like Eric von Donneken or, or Zachariah Stitchen sort of idea where these, these entities created earth, they created life on earth because through the process of evolution, and predation and animals killing each other to survive this sort of energy is produced as a byproduct of that that process mm-hmm. and they use that energy for whatever reasons it's not explained like what they use it for other than he sees these sort of giant beams of light taking in this energy and then shooting it all across the universe so the same idea is presented in changing light of sandover the spirits refer to earth as a greenhouse okay and in final events the Collins elite start to believe that earth is like a, it's a farm and that we're the cattle and that, you know, we're basically harvested by these entities for whatever purposes that they have. And this is also an idea that you see in it to a a degree. It's like Pennywise feeds on the fear. He feeds on the suffering of these people, of these children. And it's interesting that most of these people come up with these ideas when they're in sort of in an altered state. And from reading Stephen King's on writing, I can tell you that when he wrote it, he was in an altered state because he was doing more cocaine than we can possibly imagine <laughs> <laughs> the entire time he was writing that. So <laughs> this idea is something that, that just is completely saturated in this world. Like it's even in twin peaks, you know, like the, the entities of the black lodge in twin peaks feed on what they call Garmin bonesia, which is literally like fear and suffering. You know, it, like is represented in Twin Peaks as creamed corn that they feed on. Mm. And, you know, it's like, where, where does this idea come from? Because all these other people, it's almost like something that's in our collective conscious unconscious. You know, it's like, it's like an archetype, you know, this idea that, that we're cattle and that we're being harvested and that something is preying on us. And maybe it's just a primal instinct that we have, you know, maybe it's just natural, just naturally just being scared of predation because maybe we've reached a point in our evolution where we're not scared you generally aren't scared of being eaten by anything you right. know on a day-to-day right. basis right but maybe that fear is still there in your lizard brain and that it manifests itself in our mythology and in our, our mimetic ecosphere you know or maybe it is true maybe, maybe there's truth to the mythology you know i've also put forth the idea that it's a it's a manifestation of our social anxiety that we have as a modern culture living under capitalism, because a lot of times we feel like, you know, we're, we're being controlled by a shadowy elite and that our labor and that our sweat and blood is just being sucked up by these people. We're not able to, you know, we're just being used. We're just shuttled to our nine to fives every day. And then we come back and all the money that we get is taken by, you know, the 1% maybe it's a manifestation of that anxiety you know because a lot of i see like this this meta narrative appears more and more in a more explicit way after the industrial revolution than it was before it so i mean that that's a very carl jung idea that you know the paranormal is a manifestation a physical manifestation mind you, not I'm not saying it's all in our heads but that it is manifested by our anxieties
3: as a culture well, they must have a lot to feed on then because <laughs> there's a ton of anxiety around for sure. Yeah.
6: Well, I mean you see UFO flaps anytime yes. there is a time of like great social upheaval. I mean, like I think we're due yes. right now for one. So I've been kinda of waiting for it to happen. I know we've been having Mothman sightings in Chicago. Right you know, this killer clown stuff. Like we are, we are ripe for a UFO flap and I'm just waiting for it to really kick an eye.
3: Actually. I wonder if the UFO flap has been replaced by phantom clowns, Mm -hmm. mothman cryptids. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the UFO thing has just Mm -hmm. run its course. Mm -hmm. Like we're not as interested in that as we used to be,
6: you know, it's possible as a culture.
3: Mm -hmm. And now, it's manifesting itself differently. I mean, yeah. you think about the anxiety that people were feeling in 2016, mm-hmm. and my other uh, about the fa- let's take the Phantom Clown flap. Rob really loves it when I talk about this, by the way. Yes,
2: it just <laughs> will not go away. Yeah, it's, it's been it, years. You know, well, Pennywise is right not here,
3: man. He's he's looking at you. Um, he's on my shirt, but. Take that for instance. Where did that start? It started in a lot of, uh, it started in South Carolina in these apartment complexes that were primarily African American. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And are people, you're talking about a group of people that are feeling a lot of anxiety Mm -hmm. in the culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with the cops killing, you know, you know these type of things that you know, you know, you're in a town where one of those things happened. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, with the election coming up and the tension that's in the broader culture, people in these communities begin to see clowns. Mm-hmm. And of course, that goes into the trickster element of this phenomenon too. And it's just interesting to me that it manifests itself in that way. And then it gets in the news, and then people in other communities start to see clowns.
6: mm -hmm. Well, you know, I mean, the the stuff in Chicago, the Mothman encounters in Chicago were happening primarily in Latino neighborhoods. Right. And what other group right now is being... You know, is living basically in fear because of all the stuff mm-hmm. going on with ice and everything.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, it's not a coincidence that these things are happening in marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you know, I've said this idea before that I almost feel like in some ways these experiences act as almost like a mimetic virus. You know, they, the initial the initial infection occurs within a group of people, and those people spread the story, and then the meme starts to spread get in people's heads and it starts to mutate and it starts to affect the way they see the world. Like, you know, a lot of different parasites, like a uh, toxoplasmosis, the parasite you get from cat poop. Um, <laughs> it can actually affect people's brains. Like it affects the way they, they act. It, it literally affects mice. Like it, it comes from the way it affects mice. It makes mice that get infected by it, not scared of cats. Yeah. So the, the mice get eaten by the cat and then the cat gets the parasite, poops it out. And the whole cycle starts over again. It also affects the way people think too, and that it causes people to become uh, more prone t- to making risky decisions. Uh, it makes them more sexually promiscuous. Um, it it and you know maybe something it's something similar to that because if you think about the way memes act, I mean this was Dawkins' original idea about memes. They they are literally non-physical representations of genes. They they create, reproduce, and and propagate themselves in the same way physical genes do but they only exist in sort of the new sphere you know they exist in the realm of the mind and who's to say that some of these things don't reproduce in a similar fashion like what if the whole phenomena all of the paranormal is some Mimetic virus, like literally a virus of the mind that is transmitted and mutated throughout time and uses humans as a host, as a carrier signal in order to spread. Like I have thought about that, too. Like what if the whole – what if the Collins elite were on the right track, but just looking at it through a Christian lens, what if the idea that, yeah, like we need to cover this up? We, What if the whole skeptic movement, the reason they try to get people not to believe in this stuff – it's because they're trying to kill the virus. They're trying to keep it from spreading because every time we do a podcast, yeah. every time we write a book, we spread these memes. And then people get infected by them, and right. then people spread them too. Right. And then it starts to mutate and evolve, and it, the cycle continues.
3: Right. And, and also when you talk about the, when you're the, the analogy to toxoplasmosis in cats, mm-hmm. that's a symbiotic relationship between the bacteria and the host. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I believe that this phenomenon is in a symbiotic relationship with us. and always mm-hmm. has been. Yeah. So and, if it loses us, who knows what would happen to it?
6: Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why it tries to keep us from killing each other with nuclear weapons and, and yeah. destroying our planet. It's because it needs us to survive and that without us, it doesn't have any carrier to live in. Yeah. You know?
3: Yeah. There's a lot of other things too like, you know, the um I've I've heard things about, you know, that blood, you know, has power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, blood shed has power. Mm-hmm. So like if you think about how haunted, you know, just, you know, like Civil War battlefields in our part, well, our part of the country here. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about how haunted those places are. Mhm. Hey, you think about like, you know, that those beings could really feed off of war, but mm-hmm. n- apparently not nuclear war, which I guess that's yeah. a that's a good thing, right?
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always thought about the idea that, yeah, I mean, things like battlefields are just mm-hmm. like the more blood that was shed, the more suffering and fear and terror that went into right. a, an area, the, the more these things just kind of hang around still, you know, licking up the blood, basically. I mean, literally, that's what. You know, older cultures thought about things like ghouls, the whole Mm -hmm. idea of the ghoul and like these spirits who would haunt battlefields, who would literally just feed on the corpses of the dead. And maybe they meant that in a metaphorical sense. Maybe that was why it was so bad to just leave these bodies just laying around. They had to be buried to get them away from these spiritual things that would just, you know, feed on the the fallen.
3: Yeah, the conspiracy side of me in many ways, thinks about some of this and thinks about whether or not war is caused by people that serve these entities.
6: It's possible. I mean, they may not even realize they're doing it. Yeah. You know, that, that's what's so insidious about it. I mean, the best kind of parasite, the best kind of, you know, uh, virus doesn't kill the host. Mm-hmm. It manipulates the host, you know, without the host knowing that it's happening.
3: Yeah, it's, you know? it's like the concept, the Malachi Martin, the perfect possession. Mm -hmm. yeah you talked about and it's a time that we have left because we're running out of time uh i do want to kind of go over you had mentioned to me about an experience that you had had at a summer camp Mm -hmm. that was similar to some of this um i'd kind of like to go into that a little bit if you're if you're cool with it
6: yeah I'll, i'll talk a little bit about it um in a way i sort of lived a version of it um and to this day, I don't know if it was just all in our heads or mm-hmm. if something real was happening. But it, it kind of all started. I worked at a, a Boy Scout summer camp in North Alabama for many summers. Every summer, I would go there, spend the entire summer there. Some of the best summers of my life. I loved working there. It was a great time. I met a lot of really good friends. Um, and, you know, I, I was one of the kids' like favorite teachers, right? Because I was a cool teacher and we would do all kinds of cool activities and stuff. I taught nature studies there. So I would... You do like bird study, geology and stuff. And I would, you know, take the kids on hikes and stuff. So, you know, kids would sometimes just talk to me after class and, you know, tell me about their problems or whatever. They, they trusted me. So these two kids come to me one day after class and they told me that they'd been having nightmares. And I was like, really? Like, what kind of nightmares? And they said that they were having these nightmares where they would see this Native American – in the nightmare and that his face would turn into like a dog's face. And he was like trying to tell them something, but they didn't know what he was saying. Cause they didn't speak his language. So, but it was like really like scaring them. They kept having this dream and it was multiple kids. And, you know, I, I didn't know what they were lying to me. I didn't, you know, I, I don't know what, it, it I don't think it would be in them. Just make up something like that to me. Um, but, it kind of culminated in late because the kids were only there for like a week at a time. Like these, these troops would go, they'd stay there for a week and then they would go later that week. One of the kids said that he'd actually been thrown from his bunk in his little cabin. um, One night and that all of them had seen it and they were getting really scared. They didn't know who they, that was the only person they could go to. Cause they want to tell their scoutmaster this. You know, I was the only person I guess who they thought wouldn't think they were crazy. And you know, I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, 15 or whatever. I didn't really know what to do with this information. I had just started to kind of get into the occult at the time. Uh, some of the other guys I was like bunking with were into the occult. They had some books. We were kind of all talk about the stuff late at night. So I went to some of those guys and we were like telling them about it. And they thought it was interesting. And so we kind of formed like a little group, like a quartet, if you will, <laughs> where we uh, sort of talked about what was going on. And one of them was like uh, one of the guys I was friends with was uh, he was Mexican another guy was like part Native American and the Native American guy thought that you know it had parallels with some of the stuff that he thought about about or he'd heard about when he was a kid like things in the woods and so he had this idea that it was some kind of like Native American spirit or maybe like a woods demon or something like that so he, put that idea in our heads. And then we kind of, we kind of believed him and went and went forward with this idea. And we all started, I don't know, like we all started talking about it as if it were real. And this is where I get into the territory. Like, I don't know if it was real or if we created it, you know, because we would talk about it as if it were real. And we started of being like, yeah, there's something in the woods that's feeding on these kids terror. You know, it's feeding on these, it's like scaring these kids. And when we started talking about it, we felt like it was watching us like we it, it suddenly became really scary to be there at night because you would walk back to our we'd walk back to our staff area and we feel like something was watching us from the woods and and it kind of culminated in this experience where uh, my my Latino friend he went off into the woods one night almost like in a trance and he he came back hours later and said that he'd seen it in a tree and that it was staring at him like he'd seen whatever it was and he wouldn't He couldn't like describe it fully, but he said it was like red. That's all he could describe it as. It was like a red thing in a tree.
5: Mm.
6: And, and he started feeling like it was like talking to him or like it was contacting him. And one, another weird thing is like whenever we would start feeling creepy or start feeling like, cause sometimes we would just like stay there for the weekend. Usually everyone went home on the weekends, but I lived pretty far away. So I would just stay there the entire summer. Usually wouldn't just go home on the weekends. I didn't have a car or anything, so I couldn't drive. I had to get somebody to take me back to my hometown. So when I would stay there on the weekends by ourselves, um, it was almost like whenever things started to get really crazy or started to get really scary, started to get really creeped out, the insects would get louder and louder and louder, like the cicadas would just get so loud that it was like deafening. And, I mean, he took that. He said that it was because it controlled those insects. And, again, I don't know. There were, there were other experiences, like, um, at one point we went off to this area that we called Moon Rock. It was like this big sort of flat, uh, I don't want to explain it. It's like, it was like some kind of marble field, you know, like it's got little pine trees and stuff in it. But mostly it's like you're walking a rock. And there was an experience where we were all up there and everyone started to get really confused. And people just started like, saying gibberish and everybody like wandered off in different directions and it reminded me so much of like fairy lore how you know fairies would confuse people yeah. in the woods and you know that there's no real resolution to any of it I mean every summer we'd come back we would talk about it we but there, we didn't know what to do about it um, and there there was one finally one kind of major event where my, my friend the one who had seen it in the tree uh it was like the last night of camp we were all about to you know go back to our own towns and stuff and we were in the woods together and he sort of went into a trance state and basically like channeled like he received this information from something that was telling him something and it was very similar to the kind of things you hear about like you know in the changing light at sandover it was like these entities had created earth and that they you know were earth was like a greenhouse and that you know he could, and there's one thing he said during that experience. I was like, well, "What do they look like? What does it look like?" And he said that he couldn't see it, but he could see its shadow. And that always stuck with me because, like, if you wanted, you can't see something that's four dimensional, right? If you if you try to look at a four dimensional cube, all you can't see what it looks like, but you can see its shadow. Sure. And that's that's what a tesseract is. It's the shadow of a, a fourth dimensional cube. So that makes sense to me. Like if these entities weren't Three dimensional, we wouldn't be able to see what they looked like, but we could see their shadows. And I don't know. I, again, I, it was so weird. And I don't I haven't really talked much about this experience because, again, I don't know if it was real, if it was external, or if it was just something. It was like a shared fiction amongst a bunch of like teenage boys that you know were into like the occult and into horror movies and stuff. And maybe we were just deluding ourselves. You know, maybe it was just some sort of shared fiction between us.
3: Or it could have been something that was manifested like a tulpa.
6: Yeah, like did we create a tulpa, or was it something that existed before? Right. That that we encountered. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'll probably never know. But it was certainly a wild couple of summers.
3: <laughs> that is interesting, Ren. That is that is really interesting. Yeah, you never know. Um, it, it could have been like everybody was working themselves up. Mm -hmm. it was a Tulpa kind of thing or the interest that you guys had in the occult could have awakened something Mm -hmm. that was already there. The truth is you don't know. You probably never know,
6: Mm -hmm. but have you been
3: there since or? No, I've never been
6: there since. I'd love to go back one day just to, just to walk around there and sure. And relive some of that. But, Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I can't say one way or the other what it was. And that's why I don't really talk about it too much because I I don't have any answers about it. You know, like, I don't want to say that we encountered something in the woods that was evil because I I don't know, maybe we just made it up in our heads. Maybe we were just having fun between ourselves. Yeah.
3: You know, because people
6: create fictions for themselves all the time. Right. Maybe it was a combination of both. Maybe it was a little bit of fiction. Maybe it was a little something using that fiction to talk to us. Well, the
3: Topa know? concept, I mean, can do that. I mean, the Philip experiment is something that's on record mm-hmm. of people actually, you know, they clearly made this thing up. You know, that was part of the experiment to make this ghost called Philip. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Philip started manifesting. They started seeing <laughs> Philip. You know, and, you know, like, and we go and we can go back to the slender man thing too, mm-hmm. you know, um, Rin, where can people get in touch with you and uh, tell everybody about your blog as well?
6: Yeah. So I, I write a blog at, uh, liminal com. Um, I haven't updated it in a little bit, but every I, I try to just put quality stuff on there. So it's not like a news aggregator or anything. I try to write essays, but it's got some information about my out of body experiences and, you know, I wrote an essay about Al Bender on there, and there's uh, some topics like Bigfoot type stuff. I'm interested in a wide variety of things. So, you know, if people want to read some essays and that kind of stuff, just check out liminalroom.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Um, I'm at Mr. underscore Apol. So Mr. spelled out M-I-S-T-E-R underscore A-P-O-L. So that's my main sort of social media. I don't use Facebook or anything. So people want to talk to me on Twitter and see me upload pictures of, uh, you know, occult stuff I'm working on or, or, you know, see memes reposted. That's the best place to find me.
3: Yeah, we're definitely going to have to have you back on. I want to dig through Luminal Room and uh, find some more topics for us to talk about because this has been a really great interview. I've really enjoyed this as I knew I would but
6: <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm glad you guys asked me to come on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Thanks for being a part of uh, Joe's experiment tonight as well.
6: Oh, definitely. You guys got to tell me what, if any other cool stuff shows up on that. I love the idea. Yeah. Yeah. I love using that. That's, that's such a cool concept. So, see, so let me know how that works out
3: when we get this posted. I'll, uh, you'll, you'll, we're going to go over it in the outro. So cool. But, uh, stay on the line for us. Uh, all right. Rob, was anything that you wanted to ask or say or, um.
2: Not specifically, no. I, I really enjoyed the interview, though. Thanks for coming on, Ren. This is awesome.
6: Yeah, definitely. It's fun.
3: All right. Well, we, uh, we're going to close out this section, and uh, we'll be right back. Close out the show. As usual, I'll get the <laughs> Brandon. All right, yeah, yeah, we're, we're back. Yeah, we need to get some like really like like crazy music. Do like the uh, the morning zoo, you know, radio shows. Like we're back and like a bunch of noises and stuff. <laughs> we should do that, man.
2: Real distracting yeah. stuff. Like-
3: yeah, just like whoa, whoa, you know, like uh, like air horns and
2: dun, dun, stuff dun, like dun. that. We're back.
3: All right, guys. Yeah that was foreigner would turn me (laughs) loose um yeah so joe as wren was speaking was noting down the words that were coming off the uh his technology here so let's uh give me some of the words that uh which you thought were interesting okay, in the this context is, of his This
4: is some very cool interview. stuff. Um, if Ren listens, re-listens to this, just you're on the right track. Keep doing experimenting. Anybody who has an idea, do it, because I think this is really a new science, okay? the What we're messing with is just the light changes in light. Then we associate it with words, and we had the system going while um, the interviews Um what's happening it's uh we got three pages of notes so i'm just going to go through some of the the stuff that i okay that's kind of sticks out but um it was weird when um at the beginning renwood was was talking he talked about um books the word kindle comes up and i in my mind it's talking about the new electronic books kindle and I thought that was kind of cool. Then he was he talked about Satan, maybe. Then the word non-existent comes up. Um, That is a big thing. I mentioned mentioned Satan as a a
2: joke. I I want to reiterate real quick before you go on with this that this is like a sixty-five thousand word dictionary. So the the odds of any particular word coming up is one in sixty-five thousand.
4: Yeah, and and it's it's crazy that it the words are coming up exactly when they're talking. So it's not like we're waiting hours for a word that they're talking about to show up. It's instantaneous. So so it's definitely um, mind boggling. All right. Um, we think there's some kind of intelligence always listening like um, omnipresent. So um, Adam brings up the word Satan, then the word non-existent comes up and that associates with... Um, the ideas of fear and stuff and people use Satan as a fear mongering word, I think. So to me, it just rung a lot of bells. So I had to write that down. Like like most of this fear is, doesn't really exist. We're, we're sort of maybe making it up a little bit. So it was crazy. Then the word spooking comes up right after when he's talking about um, ghosts um, let me see some other stuff. Um, we're thinking though the the language thing was trying to say Ren's name a lot. We kept getting R H O N A show and I never yeah, the
3: word the name Rona, which is a weird name, yeah. came up like two times. So if
4: anybody out there knows what Rona means, let us know. But I'm thinking it was trying to say Ren. That was my idea. It was trying to say his name. Um, all right. So You want me to look at
3: it? I mean, I can read them off if you want.
1: Well,
4: yeah, there's a lot here, guys. Sorry for the for looking at the. So up. there was like kidnap.
3: Ah. Um, yeah, that was that hit. came up in a context of uh, that I think was was interesting. I think he was was he talking about the. Um, being in the woods, I think. at yeah, that Point.
4: Or it was an abduction story or something. And yeah. The, the kidnap word just was.
3: Churchgoers'
4: allegiances yeah. affirm. Enchanter was interesting. Yeah, he said it communicated. Yeah, he was talking about um, the the cults um, were wearing church outfits or something like that. Then the word churchgoer shows uh-huh. up. So um, encountered.
3: So that's what we kind of talked about was encounters with different entities.
2: we got a cult just before the show started too. Yeah,
3: when I um when I was texting Ren on Skype to see if he wanted to come on a little earlier right as I was doing that the word occult came up, which was real interesting. Hot dog came up when he mentioned a dog-like creature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or it was the dogs that were that he said he saw around his cat in his out of body experience. Yeah, the
4: the coolest thing about the cat, he was talking about cat poop and stuff before. That was later, though. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I was seeing the word cat come up. I didn't know why, and I saw the word dog, uh, chihuahua come up. Yeah, I didn't know why. Then he then then later he's talking about the cat poop kind of an analogy with the viruses and stuff, and and then. It just, it kind of, I don't know if it's time traveling or not, but it kind of linked to that exactly. So I was, I was amazed by that.
3: Afterlife. That was interesting. Ageless. Brilliant.
4: Yeah, he was talking Iniquities.
3: about. Iniquities.
4: <laughs> that was sort of towards the end. Yeah. He's talking about the technologies that people see when um, they go, they have the experiences. Culprit. And stuff.
3: Obsession, methadone, uh, debacles, lunacy. Was it lunacy?
4: Yeah, you guys were talking about um the people with um, split, what is it, split personality or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff like mental illness. So the word methadone comes up. It was interesting. It was like a drug. And yeah. it was. I
3: think I, when I mentioned drugs at that point, about. People using drugs to control their schizophrenia, which methadone has nothing to do with that, but, um,
4: fathering. Yeah. I mentioned something about, yeah, that was in the, We
3: we mentioned demonology and cryptography.
4: Yeah. The fathering part was when he was in the forest. Or with his dad, or whatever, on the trail, and he said mm-hmm. that he he diverted from where his dad was, and it also said disobedient, which was interesting. Like he didn't listen to his dad, and he went he went um, off the trail. Maybe then he saw those those triangle creatures or whatever. Then I was just thinking of Matrix, like he's in the Matrix somewhere, you know, seeing weird. Caliph's
3: was bizarre. Um, yeah, we mentioned hot dog, which was interesting. Ageless. So there were some interesting words that you got on that. Yeah, we ageless, I the, think, has a to lot to do with...
4: Yeah, ageless has a lot to do with time Mastiff, travel. which is a dog, a type of dog. Yeah, started... I think it was just getting, like... I don't know where it gets this information, but it's like, it's really interesting. And there's 65,000 words. It's not like it was just saying... I don't, I don't know. Like the word a and the It never said, you know, little words like that. It was always on target. It seemed to be, you know, of what he was talking about or what you were talking about. So
3: it's, it's interesting, Joe, I mean, you got some, I mean, I think you might be onto something here with this. Um, You know, if, 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 if. anything it's an interesting thought experiment
4: yeah i think the ovulus is doing that too so anybody who has one of those gadgets um experiment with it other than ghost hunting use it for you know talking to your family i think it could be a good um like a lie detector maybe stuff stuff like this because there's information just floating around um, there's a song that says the answer, my friend, is blown in the wind. You guys ever hear that? So, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I think I think some of these artists are really inspired by some of their things they're they're doing. So,
3: um, again, tell people where they can find you and where they can find the technology.
4: The, this um, can all be found at GhostPro.us. That's G H O S T P R O u s and um, the the talking part is integrated into the ghost hunting um, stuff and you if you have a web camera, you can do it free if you have a Windows operating system, Google Chrome and a web camera just log in for free and you can use your web camera and get this kind of um, intelligence in your home and I say experiment with it try don't be afraid of it we're always talking about the fear stuff. And fear is only going to hold you back. Just, just uh, experiment. Um, don't be reckless, though, when you're being fearless. I always say that, too. Some people just go crazy and reckless. But but definitely do some safe experiments with the technology and just let us know how it goes.
3: And, Rob, uh, if you can tell people about our Patreon.
2: Oh, yeah. Check us out on Patreon.com. It's uh, Patreon.com slash uh if you want to help the show grow that's a great place to contribute we've got different tiers different uh little packages for people we do bonus episodes and and that sort of thing if you know if you don't have if you don't have money to contribute on you, you still like the show and want to support us a great way to do that is a five-star review on itunes or stitcher or wherever you listen
3: and on behalf of luke thank you guys for listening to conspiranormal
2: yes he appreciates you
3: yes he does He does. We've been uh, invited on a podcast uh, cruising with steak, so that may be out by the time we get this show out. So I'm really trying hard to get all three of us, uh, including Luke. Which you know maybe he'll come for somebody else's (laughs) podcast. You
2: never know. I think Joe's right. We got to lure him here.
3: Yeah, we do. We we, yeah. Joe suggested like telling him that there's women here. And then say that they're gone once he shows up. So you just missed him. You're too late. Give him a motivation. Maybe we should have like a food tray for him. Yeah, like I a, know, like Taco Bell. Like a Taco Bell food tray. Yeah, I
2: was going to say a nice cheese platter, but I don't think that's Luke's Speed. Nah, I don't think it's Luke's. Speed. That would get me here.
3: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Alright guys, next time we're going to... I have it scheduled. Um, I need to kind of confirm it, so hopefully it's going to happen. But uh, we're going to talk to... Eric Kurlander. He's written a book called Hitler's Monsters, which is kind of about the occult roots of the Third Reich. That sounds and I'm fun. Really, really psyched to have this guy on. So we're continuing with um, some, getting some good quality guests for everybody. And so thank you guys for listening to Conspirator Normal. And we'll let the Ghost Pro take
5: us out. Synonyms. Abe. Caustically. Possession. Clementine. Faulty. Dimwit. Cannibals.